Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Hello, hello. It's so good to see you guys' faces. Hello, online crowd and campus. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. And man, we're in our thriving relationships series, and it's been so powerful already as we have begun to see what the Word of God says about how to just be in a relationship with each other. And that's one thing that if you are here on this earth, you cannot escape. You can't escape people. People are everywhere. And so the awesome thing about our the Word of God that we follow as Christians is that the Word of God is truly powerful, and it equips us to do those things Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, deal with the people. Because the bottom line is Charles Spurgeon, he was one of uh, he was a theologian that was somebody who we looked to for spiritual insight, and his writings are still read today. But he said that basically. The word of God is our light as Christians. It's the lamp to our feet. That's what shows us the way. But Christians in, in the world is what shows the world the way. So the world is reading our lives, but we have to be reading the word of God so that they're reading the right thing. Okay, so as we thrive in relationships, not only is it going to make us be able to walk into a life that is more abundant, because we know that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly, but oftentimes the biggest hindrance to that life more abundantly tends to be the people in our lives. They tend to irritate. They tend to frustrate. We tend to look at them as they are stealing our peace and our joy. But honestly, what happens is, is that what we need to look at is how do we have thriving relationships knowing that we are imperfect and people are imperfect. How do we come together? So as a Christian, you know, Stephen alluded to this last week when we talked about the first part, the first two parts of our scripture we're studying. But he was like, I thought when I was a Christian, I was just going to be able to magically be compassionate and kind and humble and meek. And so he and be patient. But the bottom line is there is no fairy dust. There is no fairy dust for Christians to be able to magically get along. Although that would be awesome. But the cool thing about it is the fact that we do have something better than the fairy dust. We do have the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. So if he can raise somebody from the dead, then he can empower us to be able to live successfully on this earth and have thriving relationships. He also gives us the word of God that teaches us how to do that. He gave us the example of Christ where we see Christ who came to this earth. He, came, he was in heaven, y'all, and he was willing to come to this earth. Okay, I know that many of us don't just think about what heaven would be like, but heaven really is the perfect place. It has no sin. It ha- like Literally everything you could imagine you would like to take away from this earth, that's heaven. Heaven is beautiful and perfect, and Jesus was willing to leave heaven to come to earth to save us. And so he showed us this example of sacrifice in a way that we see that this is what the kind of sacrifice he's asking us to make in our life so that our relationships can thrive. And the next thing is, is the father's love. He accepts us and he truly makes it possible. The first week we talked about in Colossians three, that we are holy. That means set apart. 
We are dearly loved. We are chosen by our Father in heaven. Okay, so these are things that give us an identity in him. And so if we have our identity in anything else, the bottom line is there's no way we can thrive in relationships. If we are waiting for our self-esteem to be good, to be able to thrive in relationships, we're going to be waiting a long time. And it's totally and completely conditional to what kind of day we're having. If we have a good hair day, we have good self-esteem. If we have a bad hair day, we have bad self-esteem. And so therefore, we can only thrive in relationships when our self-esteem is good, which is completely a roller coaster. And so we are wanting to put our foundation on the truth that is not shifting sand. We are wanting to have thriving relationships every day, regardless of what our hair looks like. So Colossians 3, 12 through 18 is the portion of scripture we're diving into. We're unpacking this scripture in this series. And so we want to just take some seasonal series here at the house and just teach scripture. I feel like this helps us not only understand something deeper, but it also helps us when we're reading our Bible personally. We are learning how to think deeper, to ask questions about what we're reading and really get the revelation that the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal to us so we can apply it to our lives. So Colossians 3, 12 through 17 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that means we're sons and daughters of God, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Everybody say perfect harmony. Okay, so this is a really important um, part of this verse because he's showing us the goal. The goal is perfect harmony when we do this. Okay, let's go on to verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Stephen will continue that part of the scripture next week, but we're focusing on verse 13 and 14, where it talks about bearing with one another, forgiving each other like Christ did, and putting on love so that we can be in perfect harmony. So I'm not a singer and I'm not a musician. So Mitch and Brittany are going to come up and help me with this. Y'all, uh, y'all have your mics. Woo-hoo. Okay. So I think that I had to, I actually called Stephen Hill and Mitch this week to explain to me what perfect harmony meant, because I really was trying to get a revelation of what Paul was telling the church. And so here, uh, Brittany and Mitch can sing better than I do. And, um, th- what the picture shows is that when before we get saved, we're all singing a song. Okay, but before we get saved, it's two different songs. So show us what that sounds like. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, and a Okay, so that's super confusing. Okay, you don't know what to listen to. They're two different songs. Okay, so then let's say we get saved. And so now we all have accepted Jesus as Lord, and we're going to sing the same song. So let's hear what that sounds like. Okay, that still sounds terrible. Okay, so they're singing the same song. That's the first step. We got to all be in one accord, though, and that was not one accord. Okay. 
<laughs> so I asked Mitch, what makes the difference between somebody singing the same song and someone being in perfect harmony? Okay, so this is where I believe when we as Christians decide to accept and walk in the journey of transformation that we talk about all the time here at the house. We want you to meet the Father. We want you to accept forgiveness, live free, and have your purpose fueled. So how do we walk in this this journey of transformation and what does it sound like? Okay, so what does perfect harmony sound like? Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Okay, I don't even want to stop him because I, that is so beautiful. <laughs> Give Mitch and Brittany a good hand, a big hand. Okay, so they are finally singing the same song, but they've arranged the pitch and the notes in a way that sounds good. Okay, so here we are as Christians. We're finally singing the same song. But now we have to bear with one another, forgive each other, and put on love so that we can be on, in perfect harmony. Singing the same song is not enough. And he wants to give us the direction to how we can be in perfect harmony, even though we have a room full of a lot of different people. Okay, so um, one of the things that I want to point out is that in the last days, the Bible talks about the fact that there will be division. And the enemy, the devil, will try to pull the church apart, pull people and put them against each other. And so we know that the enemy's plan is to divide. So in Jude 1, 16 through 19, I'm going to go there and, and show you what um, this says. These are gr grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. So basically in this scripture in Jude, it's talking about um, grumblers. Basically, they're complaining. Anybody know any complainers? Don't point to your neighbor. Okay, uh, malcontents. Okay, I had to look that up because that's not usually in my everyday verbiage. But malcontents means rebellious. Okay, so rebellious people following their own sinful desires. This just means they're doing whatever they want to do and they don't care about anybody. Okay, so they are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers. That means people who laugh at you for believing the way you do or making you feel small or belittling you for having a different opinion. Following their own ungodly passions, it is those who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. And so I remember reading this uh, portion of scripture as I was studying and I thought, wow, that sounds a lot like when I scroll through social media. <laughs> And that sounds a lot like when I turn on the news channels. And that sounds like a lot like the world that we live in right now. The culture that is being produced right now is a lot of division and a lot of things being turned against each other to be against each other. And so the next thing would be is obviously that sounds some, I know it sounds terrible, but it sounds like some Christians. And one of the things that I want to remind us of is just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you are singing in perfect harmony. Okay, so this is where we dig into the word. We know that the enemy uses misunderstandings to, to sabotage the melody that God is wanting to put through us. Okay, so he's wanting to use misunderstandings. He's wanting to use unhealthy expectations, which we're going to talk a lot about today. Rejection, self-protection, don't hurt me, stay away. 
Okay, um, different opinions, criticism, immaturity, all kinds of things he will use and say, sabotage the melody so that they sound terrible, so that no one will want to listen to them. And so this is why we have to look at the word and say, okay, what are healthy expectations that we're supposed to have in relationships so that we can thrive, so that we can be in perfect harmony? So what keeps us from being in perfect harmony is unhealthy expectations. And that means there's expectations that we are assuming, but never speaking. So we're expecting something out of our spouse, out of our life group leader, out of our parents that we are assuming it's all in our mind, but we've never spoken. And so this is going to crash a relationship every single time. When we hold others to a standard that we're not willing to hold ourselves to, this is going to destroy relationships. And one of the things that I think it's interesting, because it does seem like if you just see people's expectations of people, typically as Christians, people in the church, we put worldly people are people who have not become saved yet. We have very low expectations of them. They're way down here. Because we know that they don't know Jesus. So, and I would recommend this if you don't know this. Don't expect someone who doesn't know Jesus to act like someone who does. Okay, we get, we realize unsaved people act like unsaved people. So we love them and we give them grace because we're not expecting them to obey the word when they haven't submitted to it yet. Okay, so unhealthy expectations, but we'll put those expectations low. And so then you'll hear from Christians, oh, wow, they were so kind. I can't believe they did that great kindness towards me. Well, why are you so shocked? Because they're not saved. They're not a Christian, but they still showed kindness. But our expectations are so low that we're just so impressed by them. Then we have our self, expectations for ourself. And those are lower to medium, but dependent on your background or your personality. Okay, so dependent on our background or expectations, we expect a lot from ourselves or not enough. But guess what? We never expect ourselves more from ourselves than we do our spouse or our parents. Okay, our spouse and our parents and our life group leaders are way up here. Okay, we have these expectations for them. And then our pastors, we're like, whoa, way up there. (laughs) Okay, so the expectations are not always the same we would expect from ourselves. And so, therefore, we get our feelings hurt and we get disappointed. Okay, we had unhealthy expectations. And here we come into a relationship and they fail us. Because that's what someone's going to do when we assume and we never communicate what we were expecting. Okay, so unhealthy expectations are wrapped in demands. Healthy expectations are wrapped in love. And so that's your meter to know, are my expectations of the people in my life healthy? Are they wrapped in love? Or is this a demand? And so if it is a demand, we can automatically know that that's going to end up in harm and hurt. And it doesn't mean the other person meant to hurt you. It means that our expectations were never going to be met. And there was always going to be hurt after that. Colossians is teaching us how to thrive in our relationships by having healthy expectations. So we're going to go into what he tells us, Paul tells us, to have so that we can have thriving relationships. Number one is bear with one another. 
Number two is forgive each other. And number three is put on love. Okay, so these are uh, no easy task. These are, <laughs> there's no easy task in this scripture, but we're going to dive into bear with one another. I was thinking about bearing with one another, putting up with each other. But I also was thinking as a little girl and as you are seeking a romantic relationship and all of the romantic movies lead you to believe that someone is going to find you and love you for just the way you are. Okay, that's the ultimate gift. Okay, I remember, uh, you know, just think about your favorite gift growing up, favorite gift you've ever received. And just think of the feeling you experienced when that was the ultimate gift. Okay, so someone sees me at my worst and still loves me. I'm good. But then we live in a world that realizes that people still have expectations after they say they love you. And after they say they'll love you for just who you are. That doesn't mean that you are now no longer expected to grow and no longer expected to meet up any expectations. It means that we have to realize that we are bearing with one another and someone is having to bear with me. And so this is what it looks like when we're bearing with one another. It looks like the world does not revolve around me. So my actions serve others. Okay, so in, uh, when the sons of Zebedee went to Jesus and said, who's going to be at the right hand of the throne of, at your, in heaven? Who's going to be sitting beside you? Who's going to be your bestie? Okay, so basically Jesus is like, listen, you need to just want to be the servant of all. Like that should be your goal. Just be the servant of all. And so I think that that is something when we bear with one another, is our expectation for someone to serve me or is it for me to become the servant of all as unto the Lord? And so that is the difference between bearing with one another or not. But here we sit and we face life and we get frustrated. Why? Because someone interrupted our plans. Someone is going too slow. Someone is going too fast. Someone is giving us too many opinions. Someone is not giving us enough opinions. There's always a reason why our frustration builds as we start having unhealthy expectations. And so this happens often. And I'll give you a very... Uh, small situation that feels big to me. Um, but when I start cleaning my house, when I want to clean my house, I start out with a great attitude. Okay. So I start out with, I want to bless my people. I live in a home with five other people and I really love a clean house. But I don't necessarily share that other people in my house don't share that same value. And so. <laughs> I begin thinking, I'm going to start, I'm going to bless my family. So then I go into somebody's closet and I'm like, I'm going to organize their closet and clean this up for them. And then my feelings get, go from wanting to bless you to being overwhelmed, to being frustrated, to being disgusted, to being angry, to being wanting to kick you out of my house. And so this is something that I've learned about myself over, uh, you know, probably 18 years of being an adult and having a home. Uh, but what happens is, is that I just have learned that when I really need to deep clean and I want to do that, I already know that's the emotional roller coaster I'm going to go into. So everybody has to leave the house. Like everybody has to be gone because I know that it is not in me to control my emotions and have healthy expectations. I need to do it all and finish it and then enjoy the wonders of a beautiful, clean house and then forgive everybody afterwards. Uh, so, but the point is, is the fact that once you start thinking one thought, 
One unhealthy expectations, it builds. It's like a snowball. And then more unhealthy expectations and more unhealthy expectations till you cannot bear with one another, forgive or love. The only thing that you can do is either roll over them or explode. And that's why Paul is warning us, hey, I know you're going to have unhealthy expectations. So bear with one another. Make sure that you your demands are not more than what you would demand of yourself and make sure they're wrapped in love. Okay, so in framework, we teach preference versus principle. And that's one of the things I'm so excited about our framework class next week. And you need to join it. You need to jump into that class because it will help you. It not only will help you value each other because you'll learn your personalities and you'll learn your giftings, but it will also teach you some principles that will just help you thrive here and thrive in life. And so preference versus principle is a revelation that really has impacted my life and helped my relationships thrive is when I can determine and discern that what is preference and what is principle. Principle, I will go to bat for you for. Principle, I will fight for. But preference, I know the word of God tells me to allow you to have that preference and we can still be in perfect harmony and have different preferences. Okay? So 1 Peter one twenty two through 25 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. Okay, so this is showing us how to discern preference versus principle. We say that what fades away is preference. But the word of God is principle. Okay, so we in in framework will teach you that in essential beliefs, we have unity. Okay, in non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. There is freedom in that. And then in all our beliefs, we show love. So even if you and I differ on something that's not principle, we can still love each other. That is what covers it. That's why when Paul says, bear with one another, forgive each other like Jesus forgave, and then put on love. (laughs) Because he knows that we still have to have love to make us all get along. Okay? So, number two is forgive. And this kind of forgiveness that Paul is telling us about is forgive like God forgave you. So when we're on the receiving end of this, man, who doesn't want to be forgiven? Who doesn't remember the day that they were first forgiven by God and we were born again and we came into a relationship with him where he accepted us just like we are and he was willing to have a relationship with us. That is a beautiful day and there was forgiveness there and it wasn't that hard to receive. But now what I have learned as I walked with the Lord is I am learning that I have to have mercy and forgiveness every day. And that's the cool thing about a relationship with the Lord is that his mercy never comes to an end. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says it is new every morning and it literally never runs out. I mean, that's really good news, except when he's saying that's the kind of mercy you have towards your spouse. (laughs) That's the kind of forgiveness you have towards your parent. That's the 
kind of relationship I want you to have with the body of Christ is that when your mercies never run out, they never end and they're new every single morning. It's uh, in Matthew 10, eight, it says freely you have received freely give. We receive the free gift of salvation and forgiveness of our sins. And now he's saying, now you are empowered to go give that away. You are empowered to go forgive. You are empowered to go love. You are empowered to freely give because I freely gave to you. See, on the cross, Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was the ultimate forgiveness. And man, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I will be frustrated at someone and I will hold offense towards them and I will say they know better. But that is not what Jesus said on the cross. He, okay, so when he said, forgive them for I know, for they know not what they do, not only was he saying his disciples who followed him, not only was he saying, forgive those whom shouted at him to say, hey, give us Barabbas, go crucify Jesus. Barabbas was the thief that was supposed to be crucified. Jesus was innocent. And the crowd shouted that they would crucify the innocent man. And not only did he say that to forgive uh, you and me, but he forgave the Romans that nailed him to the cross. And so here we have this understanding of forgiveness because Jesus had this, he exemplified healthy expectations. He knew they didn't know what they were doing. That was his expectation. So he released them and freely gave them forgiveness. And so he, he was able to do this and now we are as well. He knew they didn't know. And sometimes we just have to tell ourselves they don't know. And that's okay. I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit reveals that to them. Sometimes we have to release them. You know, sometimes I think that we hold forgiveness because what was done to us feels very wrong. And sometimes it is very wrong. You know, sometimes you're like, this was an abuse This was a wrongdoing, and it's very difficult for me to forgive this person because it wasn't okay. And that's the one of the freeing things about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying what they did to you was okay. It doesn't mean that it goes away, that I never remember it again. It means that he frees us to release them their power over us. So everything, it doesn't mean that everything will be fixed. It doesn't mean that they will say they're sorry. It doesn't even mean that the relationship will be restored. It just means that you said, I know, God, you are the judge, and I am not, and I'm not going to take your place in this situation. I'm going to let you be God, and I am going to seek healing and freedom instead of holding this against them. You know, allowing offense to, um, should cause us to ask deeper questions. We can get more free and more healed When we say, why did this offend me? Holy Spirit, why did this offend me? Why did this bother me? Like, am I dealing with some insecurity? Am I not in a place of identity with you? Am I not free in this area? Can I not just release this? There's a reason why we are offended. And many times it's way deeper than the offense. It is something in our past. It's something in our childhood. And I'm not talking about a three-hour cry session. I'm talking about spending time with the Holy Spirit. Reveal to me why I feel so rejected and heal me deeper so that I can be more free and have healthy expectations. So 
um, one of the greatest things that we can do um, is take the freedom class. You know, the freedom class is walking us through how to be free and how to be able to have healthy expectations, how to deal with the things that are the real reason of why we act the way we do. And so I would encourage you as we begin life group season, make sure you go through framework next week. Make sure you join a freedom class. Maybe you are thinking, you know what, actually the relationship that's most important right now that I need help with is your marriage. Okay, so here's the deal. One, the number one thing that will keep you from thriving in a relationship in your marriage is unhealthy expectations, is unforgiveness. And so and the bottom line is to have a successful marriage, you're going to have to bear with one another. You're going to have to put up with each other a whole lot. And even if you did the first year of your marriage, we still have to put up with each other the 10th year of our marriage and the 20th year of our marriage. So I would encourage you, join that freedom life group. Join that marriage life group. I promise you, as you intentionally invest in your relationships, there will be such a great reward and you are going to thrive. So the third thing is, is putting on love. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So here we are. We want perfect harmony. Okay, so Stephen talked about last week, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Then Paul goes on to say, bear with one another, forgive, and when that is still not enough, put on love. Because the bottom line, as we are building healthy relationships, even if you do all that, you still have to put on love because it's still not enough. Okay, so we do all of this, and then after all of that doesn't maybe work 100%, like maybe the other person doesn't respond well, we're still going to have to put on love for it to work and for us to thrive. And so in old World War II era homes, um, they made houses with plaster walls. And so we use drywall now, but used to be they were made of plaster. They're very pretty, but they're also very high maintenance. And so plaster walls, once the, the, like the foundation settles, they start cracking. And you have cracks all over your wall. And you're having to repair it, repair it, repair it, repair it. And that's exactly what love does. It is the repair. Here we are building healthy relationships. But guess what? We're doing the best we can and we still have cracks. And putting on love helps us fill in the cracks that we know are inevitable. Why? Because we are fleshly. And because there are events in life that rock us. And we have to walk through those and make sure our perspective is correct. We know that love is the only thing that can fill those cracks so that we don't all crumble down just because one event. Okay, so the next thing is, is what is love and how does Jesus show that in the way he's asking us to put it on? Well, it's the way he died for Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was one of his best friends and he betrayed him and hurt him the worst. He gave him up to the Roman soldiers. He sold him out. And here Judas Iscariot is, and Jesus says, I'm not going to self-protect myself against you. I'm not pushing away from you. I'm dying on the cross for you. And when I say, forgive them for they know not what they do, he was also talking about Judas Iscariot. And so this is the kind of love he's asking us and empowering us to give to the people around us. You know, so yes, he was betrayed. But he had love and he sought to give. Because offense seeks to protect, 
Love seeks to give. So oftentimes when we find ourselves in self-protection mode, we can identify, hey, I'm offended, but I know that that is not the place to be. I want to put on love, and that means what can I give? What can I give so that this offense can be healed and made right, so that I don't get in a place where my walls are crumbling down because I won't heal this offense? So it's Matthew 5, 43 through 48. I'm going to talk about praying for our enemies. So you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, everybody say pray. Okay, so the last person you want to pray for is the person who hurt you. But this is Jesus' advice to us so that we can help love people. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so I remember reading this scripture thinking, why are they asking us to be perfect? I didn't think God made us so that we would have to be perfect. But this, I believe, is showing us that you, when you're in your place as a son and daughter of a father whom is perfect, that is the place we have to be so that we can show perfect love. So I don't think this is perfection, meaning behaviorally perfect. I think this is perfect, meaning perfect harmony. You are staying in love, praying for your enemies, doing good for them, loving them because we are presenting perfect harmony to the world. The church is responsible to have perfect harmony. And so here we have love that makes this happen. You know, when we talk about praying for our enemies, there's a portion of scripture in Psalm 35, and I'm not going to go there, but basically it refers to and indicates that we are supposed to pray for our enemies like they are our brother and sister. Okay, so we start out, let's say you have an enemy, someone offended you, and you say, okay, I'm going to pray for them because that's what the Bible says. And we start out, what do we start out? God, get them. I mean, that's just the first thing we say. God, get them. Okay, so then as we continue to pray, we want the Holy Spirit to begin to change our hearts towards them in such a way that we would pray, God, bless them. God, I pray that their relationships would thrive. I pray that they would draw close to you. I pray that you would provide for them financially. I pray that their kids would love you. I pray that you're praying like they're your brother and your sister, and that changes everything everything because the thing is is that the lord is wanting to get our focus off of the flesh and the emotion in the moment and he wants to help us see the spirit of god and what he's doing the eternal work he's doing because that is what he says even in the beginning of colossians 3 he tells us set your mind on the spirit and so when we set our mind on the spirit That is the place that we can be to have victory over offense so that we can thrive. You know, prayer is the battle. That is the battle. So we don't leave prayer until we see the enemy as the devil and not that person. That's when we're released to move forward. We pray until we know the devil is trying to divide this relationship, not this person is the problem. Okay, so as we end, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about today is just the need for Christians to become strong. 
I don't know about you, but the bottom line is, is the fact that as a Christian, if you get hit with offense, and let's say we're weak, we have a weak moment, that could very easily knock you off stride for a very long time. And so here Paul is telling us, if someone, if you have a complaint towards someone, it's not really an if, it's more of a win. <laughs> Bear with one another, forgive one another as God would forgive you, and then put on love. Because when someone offends you and when you have a complaint against them, this is how you have perfect harmony. And that's how a good father parents. Our father in heaven gave us the word of God to give us the tools because he's saying, when this happens, do this. When this happens, do this. As a parent, that's my job to teach my kids, not the ifs in life, but the wins. I know you're going to face this. So when you do, this is how you handle it. And so this is a time that we as a church can become strong. We can invest in relationships. We can invest in life groups. We can invest in a thriving relationship. If we need to get off social media for a season, then you do that to become strong. If you need to get into the Dinner Against Friends life group, because you just need to ha learn how to be go from shallow to deep, we do that. Because we know that each one of us have a different step to take, but each one of us should be building strength, inner tenacity, to tell the devil, there is nothing you can throw at me that will divide me from God's plan and God's will for my life. God's plan and God's will for my life is to be a part of the body of Christ. And so I am going to build a strength so that I can have perfect harmony with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to build strength so I can have perfect harmony in my home, with my husband, with my wife, with my kids. I'm going to build inner strength. See, when I was younger, I had um, sciatica. And I was a ballet dancer, and sciatica is a nerve uh, pain through your legs. And I had to go to physical therapy, and I was on prescription anti-inflammatories, and they were trying to f help me get better. But believe it or not, they sent me to physical therapy, what? To stretch and to build muscle around the nerve that was so painful. So that the pain would be alleviated. And so I believe that as the church, if we have an offense, if we're hurt, what should we do? We should put ourselves in a position to become more flexible. And we should put ourselves in a position to build strong spiritual muscles to protect that area that is weak and is easy to have pain. And so that means not stepping back from life group. That means stepping in to life group, knowing that I'm going to have an opportunity to bear with one another. That means not stepping away from relationship and intimacy from my spouse. That means stepping into intimacy with my spouse, knowing that communication is less about me being heard and more about two different perspectives in perfect harmony. Okay, that doesn't mean that we don't return the phone call or the text to our friend. It means we do respond to our friend because we realize that there is perfect harmony and it is available to us. But I'm going to practice bearing with one another and building this relationship so that we can become stronger together. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. 
We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the House website. We hope you have a great week.